This is Cliff Mass, and welcome to my weather podcast. Each week, I talk about current weather, provide a forecast for the weekend and beyond, and give you more details about an interesting weather phenomenon. It's Friday the 15th, and let's talk about the weather. And I have some interesting things to discuss. Well, today we have some residual cloudiness and a weak Puget Sound convergence zone over, over, over the central sound area. And that's associated with the front that went through and a little bit of sprinkles this morning, nothing serious. I think the clouds will break up later in the day um, to be partly cloudy and temperatures getting into the upper 40, so not a bad day. Now, tomorrow, a ridge, an area of high pressure will build in overhead, and I expect Saturday to be really quite a decent day. Partly cloudy, temperatures getting up near 50, very little chance of precipitation. So actually, I think Saturday is going to be the best day of the weekend. Now, Saturday night, a front comes through. It's not the strongest front we've seen, but it will come in. I expect it to cloud up later in the day on Saturday. And then Saturday night, Sunday morning, I think there will be rain. It'll be maybe a few tenths of an inch. And some showers will linger into the early part of Sunday morning. But Sunday afternoon, as the front moves by, there'll be some clouds on the mountains, that's for sure. But I think it'll be mainly dry after 10, 11 o'clock in the morning on Sunday. And so you may even see a little bit of sun, uh, temperatures in the upper 40s. So not too bad in the afternoon, but it will rain overnight. Now, we have some interesting weather coming the rest of the week. Um, Most of the week, a ridge of high pressure will be dominant. And I don't expect a lot of rain. But here's the interesting thing. We have this ridge of high pressure over us during the early part of the week, keeping us dry. Later in the week, the models are shifting that ridge of high pressure offshore. And we start getting into the northerly flow that's on the eastern side of that ridge. Now, that's going to bring in much, much cooler air. And some of the model simulations are bringing a short, what we call a short wave trough, an upper level disturbance southward on that eastern flank of the ridge. And my friends, that is the setup for lowland snow. Now, there's some mixture here. Some models are going for and some aren't. So there's a lot of uncertainty. But I want to warn you, by the end of next week, I think it's going to get colder. The models are pretty much on board about that. And we get into the territory of the kind of weather situation that can produce lowland snow. We'll watch this very carefully. But one thing I want to stress to you is that the forecast skill drops precipitously about five to seven days out. Uncertainties become much larger. And so to get the snow right, we have to get the perfect setup of low pressure right offshore that draws the cold air in and enough upward motion that gives us precipitation. It's very difficult to get that right. But I'll be watching this very, very carefully during the next week. Enjoy the weekend, especially Saturday. Weather doesn't end with the forecast. Now let's talk about the special weather topic of the week. On Wednesday morning, very strong winds buffeted western Washington. Many places around Seattle had gusts of 50 to 60 miles per hour. And in fact, there were some isolated gusts of over 60 miles per hour in the lowlands. Um, 
in northwest Washington, a number of places had winds getting to 60 miles per hour or more. And in the mountains, if you go up to the some of the higher uh, observing stations in places like Alpenthal Summit, winds gusted to well over 100 miles per hour. This was a major event. And in fact, before it was over, about uh, 500,000 customers lost their power uh, over, over, the, over the western Washington region. The unfortunate situation was that the forecasts were not that good. Uh, we knew that there was going to be a wind event. Um, National Weather Service mentioned windy conditions, but the forecasts were only for something like 30 to 40 miles per hour at most, nothing near the wind speeds that were observed. And one thing I want to remind you is that the damage from winds doesn't go up linearly. Uh, if you have twice the wind, you don't have twice the damage. It's way worse than that. It goes it goes up like with the square of the wind, the potential for damage. So a 60-mile-per-hour wind is way worse than a 50, for example. Now, the issue here was that the forecast models, the U.S. forecast models, made some mistakes. Um, a low center was coming in off the ocean, and it moved to the north of us. I mean, that is the situation that gives us the strongest winds. But our models had the storm not revving up as much and moving up too far north. And that produced a serious error. Just a small displacement northward, even a modest weakening, can have a major impact on the wind speed. And the American models were virtually all on the same page, at least all the forecasts that were done early that day making that error. Now, I should remind you, it's very difficult to run a model starting off over the ocean. I mean, there's less data out there than over land. And so it's not hard to make a mistake. But interestingly enough, a competitor model, the best model in the world, the European Center model, had a, almost a perfect forecast. And I bring this up for a reason. I have been working for years on the issue of U.S. numerical weather prediction being inferior to that of the European Center and some other groups like the U.K. Met Office. And this, unfortunately, was a really good example of that kind of failure. The European Center using virtually the same data sources that we have, we're all using the same data, was able to describe the structure and evolution of that storm offshore better than the American model. And this is something that we see repeatedly. And it's the reason, if you look at the verification statistics of the European model, it's, it's consistently better than ours. And consistently, they have better forecasts for around here and virtually anywhere around, around the world. Now, the reason that we are inferior, many of us in the technical community, the meteorological community believe, is that the Europeans do something much better than the Americans, and that is something called data assimilation. Now, we all have all these observations floating around. We have massive amounts of satellite observations. We have in information from aircraft as they fly overhead. Many wide-body aircraft are actually gathering weather information. We have buoys near the surface, ship reports. We have this, we have a real large collection of data. Now, everybody gets the same data, but the question is how you use it. And the step in numerical weather prediction in which you 
use this data to create a physically consistent three-dimensional picture of what's happening now. That step is called data assimilation. And this is an area where the Europeans are far better than the U.S. Um, this, it's embarrassing, but it's true. Uh, many of us are trying to move NOAA and the National Weather Service to be more effective in this area, but it's been a long haul and quite frustrating. And so if you look at the initialization of the ocean, it was a little bit different over the, for the Europeans versus the U.S. And that small improvement in describing what was happening during the day on Tuesday before, the, before it came in, that had major implications on the amplitude, the strength of the low, and its position. And that produced, the, that produced a better forecast for the Europeans and worse for us. Now, you know, numerical weather prediction is something that's improving. We're getting more and more resolution, and we're, our models have more and more physics. But this description of the atmosphere is the first step, the crucial first step, and that's something that we have to get better. Finally, let me note that just talking a little bit about windstorms here in general, to get strong winds in Puget Sound or western Washington, we need a strong low pressure center going just north of us. So crossing over southern Vancouver Island and then across you know, something like uh, Vancouver into southern BC, that's the sweet spot. And you might ask, why is that the case? Why, is that, why does that produce such strong winds for us? Well, it has to do with our mountains. When we have a low pressure center to the north of us, that sets up a large north-south pressure difference, or we call it a pressure gradient. And so what happens is the low goes north of us. There's much lower pressure to the north, higher pressure to the south. And when you're near mountains, the air tends to rush from higher pressure to low pressure, accelerating as it, as it goes towards the low. And that's the setup for us getting strong winds here over Puget Sound. Anyway, uh, some of us were disappointed in the forecast. It wasn't as good as, as, we, as we liked, but I'm hopeful that eventually the National Weather Service will get its act together and start doing better initializations, better description of the atmosphere that can start our numerical models and allow us to get much better forecasts. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to my podcast. Feel free to send me your questions or any topics you would like me to cover. This podcast will be available every Friday morning on my blog and major podcast platforms. If you would like to support this podcast, feel free to use the Patreon link on my blog. See you next time.